Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summer, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And it's so beautiful. I hear so many of you, uh, you know, Sister Bev, she's the Facebook girl, so she goes in and reads all those things. But there are those of you that have not missed a single daily devotion since this whole thing began. And I don't even know what to think about that, but let me just say thank you. Thank you for the privilege. You know, Paul told the people of Corinth, open wide your heart to me as I have opened my heart to you. It, it, it takes both sides. Thank you for opening your heart to me in these difficult days and allowing me just to help grow faith in your heart with the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's a privilege and an honor to get up every morning and, and know that I'm talking to you live. And so many of our seniors, I mean, your early risers, you're like me, maybe not quite as early as me because I got to get up and get things ready. But you're early risers and you look forward to this every morning. And I just thank you. I thank you for letting me be a part of your life. We've we've walked a journey together. It's not over yet. We've still got a couple of weeks. Uh, I started hearing early this morning because I went to bed early last night. I started hearing early this morning that there's actual specific areas of Manila that are being locked down because of outbreaks and things. And, you know, we're not done with this yet. But whatever you hear, whatever people say, please remember, it will be well with you. God is with you. God will cause us to work together for good, to bless you. Please remember all of the promises of God. Whatever circumstances are going on around in our lives, nothing negates the promises of God. Faithful is he who has promised. All right, for our Psalms 91 reading today, we have one of our 72-year-old Lola's. Psalms 91, verses 1 to 16. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fallers near and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make him the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you may not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will honor him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will honor him and deliver him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Amen. Now let me talk to all the families for just a minute about our seniors, please. Um, they're starting to let the seniors out a little bit. Uh, I saw an article last night that they're allowing seniors to eat in dining restaurants. Uh, they're allowing seniors into the, some of the shopping malls. So can I encourage the family, you know, do it in a way that there's no risk and no, 
no insecurity in their hearts. But if you can get your seniors out walking a little bit, because a lot of our seniors have not left the home since the middle of March. And you know what? They need to get out and get some walking in and get some exercise in. So see if you can figure out a way to do something nice for our seniors, for your Lola, for your Lola. Get them out walking a little bit. Uh, you know, do it in a way that they're not going to be maybe necessarily in public transportation. Uh, but, you know, maybe get a grab or maybe do something with one of the relatives who's got a car. But get them over and take them walking, all right? Maybe get them a nice lunch at a restaurant where they can sit down. I know the dine-in is just like 30% capacity now and things, but, you know, do something a little special. It's been a long time since they left the house. All right. Father, we come to you today. We lift you all of our families. This has been difficult. It's been difficult for the young people. It's been difficult for the seniors. It's been difficult for all those in between. Father, we just ask that your hand of grace would be upon us, that you would place your hand upon our lives and strengthen us. Strengthen us in our inner being, Lord. Strengthen our hearts. Strengthen our bodies. And Father, strengthen the dreams and desires that you have put within us. Father, sometimes those things in our soul get hurt the worst in times like this, and they're the most neglected. Lord, restore the soul of your people for all the wounds, for all the fear, for all the damage that has come into souls. Lord, as they lift their souls to you, restore and heal and strengthen in Jesus' name. Father, we continue to pray for the frontliners. Lord, they again see things that those young people should never have to see at this tender age. They're growing up fast, Lord. Never let there be a hardness. Never let the empathy of their souls be damaged by all these things that they see and then get hard in their insides and unfeeling. Father, keep their hearts soft and tender to you. Keep them tender and empathetic on the inside that they can be good doctors. Father, they've seen some awful tragedies. They've seen some awful things. Bring healing to their souls also, Father. We thank you. And Jesus, I just ask that you walk with all of us today. Transportation is still so difficult for people trying to get to work. Lord, just make a way where there is no way. Open opportunities for transportation. And Father, for people that are buying cars right now, we've already begun to hear the testimonies of half-price cars. Lord, let us hear more and more testimonies of half-price cars. We thank you for it, Father. Lord, in your name, we just ask all these things to bring glory to you. Father, we don't ask these things because we want to be special. But we want people to see that there is a difference in serving God. There are so many people that, like in Malachi, Lord, they say it does no use to bring offerings to God. It does no use to serve the Lord. Father, we're of that group of people that gather together and talk about your blessings. We're of that group of people that gather together and talk about all the wonderful things that you do for us. Take note and write those things in heaven, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
Amen. All right, let me remind you of a couple of small changes that are happening right now as we see our extension to our general quarantine. Uh, our drive-in services will continue, so if you have not reserved a slot, for Saturday morning, 7.30, Sunday, 7.30 is already full. Sunday, 9.30 still has some slots. 
Our Saturday and Sunday 9.30 fill-up, we'll add another one. So please contact your district pastor or your campus pastor and reserve your slot. Also, I told you yesterday that we're going to be making some changes. Now the curfews are getting a little more generous, and we don't have to be home till 10 o'clock at night. Um, we will be extending the hours of Fortress 91 from 7 a.m., because we want to catch people on their way to work, until 7 p.m. so people can stop on the way home from work. And then on Saturday and Sundays, it will be over at 5 p.m. So Monday through Friday until 7 p.m., Saturday and Sunday, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. So we're only making, we're extending on Monday through Friday and just keeping things the same on Saturday and Sunday. And the seniors, everything is progressing we're going to have a special 30-minute daily program for you just for the seniors. We'll have some teaching. We'll have testimonies. We'll have all kinds of wonderful things in there. Sister Irene, Pastor Irene is putting this together for you. And we'll be having some of our pastors from, like, Dubai. The Urugs will be speaking. And Pastor daughter from Cebu will be speaking. And we're going to have a great time together. So, please, all of our seniors, be looking forward to that. I'll give you the exact time of airing. When we get a little bit closer, they haven't told me yet, so I have to go ask, okay? Sometimes I get information when I ask for it. All right, we've got a beautiful testimony for you now of God's blessings. Hi, Selfie family. I'm Sister Josie Batalier. My husband is Troy Batalier. Umaatin po kami sa East and Connect Group Leader po ng District 13. God is good na kami po hindi niya pinabayaan during the pandemic. Kasi po the first two months po, Nakapasahod pa rin kami sa aming mga empleyado, although hindi madali ang aming business because we are into cleaning services, walang nagpapapunta po sa amin. At purihin po ang Diyos, kahit kami nasa Sambuanga ngayon, na-lockdown po kami almost 3 months na. Meron akong anak na inaasahan dyan sa Manila, Elijah Batalier, at ang kanyang asawa, si Reyna Batalier, sila po ang tumutulong sa aming company ngayon. At purihin po si God, up to now po, may mga umuorder ng aming machine especially the steaming machine. Kasama po sila sa silang nagde-deliver, but sometimes they're just sending video. Salamat po talaga sa Panginoon. Napakabuti po niya at tapat po talaga ang Panginoon. So keep serving God. I would like to share this uh, verse sa uh, number 624. Sabi po dito, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. Hinding-hindi po tayo pababayaan ng Panginoon. And God bless everyone. Thank you po, Pastor Samral. Thank you, Sister Pip Samral, sa inyong uh, tulong, sa inyong pananalangin. God is faithful. Salamat po sa ating mga pastor na walang sawang naglilingkod sa Diyos. Keep serving God. Jesus loves you. And let's keep praying because believe it or not, we still have members and family members of our members who are stranded around the country, not just overseas, but around the country and have not been able to get home. So keep praying for all of our families to get back together. This has been a long quarantine. All right, let's pick up today in Acts chapter 10. Now, we've been dealing with Cornelius, this great Roman centurion who is a devout follower of God, and God speaks to him by an angel. We see that God is about to bring him into what I call a leadership connection, not to bring the blessing of association, but to bring the blessing of truth this time into his life. And so God prepares him, and then God prepares the leader for this leadership connection with this beautiful vision. And now he, they're on their way to, to see Cornelius. Verse 24, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. 
and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, in my margin of my Bible, I write harvest visit. If you ever wonder where I got the idea for a harvest visit, this is where I got the idea for harvest visits, that we visit your home to bring in a harvest of your family and your friends. He called together his relatives and close friends. Now, that's what makes a good harvest visit. You called together your relatives and your friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. Now, notice as you come into this leadership connection, this divine leadership connection, one of the things the leader must do is make sure that you don't get too OA about looking at them. And so he says, Stand up, I too am just a man. He, he did not tolerate this, this fawning over leadership. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. He said, now, now, this is not the law of Moses. This is the law of the Jews. There is a big difference. This was one of their cultural traditions, one of their cultural laws. You were not allowed into the home of a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So he said, listen, God showed me that this cultural tradition is not, is not true. It's not real. I shouldn't do this. So when I was sent for, I came without objection, and I asked then why you send me. Now, notice, a leadership connection does not know why they're needed. A leadership connection does not necessarily know what they're supposed to do. They just recognize God has prepared me to, to spend time with these people, but I don't know what I'm supposed to accomplish. So he, he didn't know what he, what he must accomplish. Now, I also want you to notice that as he walks into the room, there's a lot of tension because Jews and Gentiles do not mix, especially the Gentiles from an occupying army. So he walks in and said, God has shown me I should not call any person common or unclean. Immediately he removes the tension in the house. Verse 30, and Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. All right. God hears our prayers and God remembers our offerings. Now, you, you need to understand offerings are memorials. He has remembered. Your alms have been remembered before God. Did you hear that? Think of all the seed that you have sown. Yes, God gave you the seed to sow, but think of all the seed that you faithfully have sowed. And in these days, brothers and sisters, like I taught you last, last Saturday and Sunday in the services, these are days for you to remember what God has promised. You have done what God asked you to do. Now, these are days that God remembers the offerings that you have brought before him. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, he is lodging in a house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God. Now, Cornelius recognized something. Cornelius recognized there was a presence upon this place. This was a devout man who prayed. He recognized, he's a Gentile. He recognized the presence of God. He said, we are all here in the presence of God. Now, you're going to see in a little while the Holy Ghost falls. But there was a presence that had come into that place. He wasn't just saying some religious thing. He knew there was a presence. 
upon this place. And my guess is that presence had been there ever since that angel came. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Now, truly, I understand. Truth has dawned on Peter. <laughs> he said, you know what? It's true. Everything Jesus taught us about God showing no partiality is true. I just never applied it to the Gentiles before. You see, sometimes we have religious traditions and we have religious culture that blinds our understanding to the greatness of something God has said. Now, he'd always applied this God doesn't show favoritism among themselves as Jews. But now he began to realize, wait a minute, God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He said, man, my understanding of God's no favoritism just grew exponentially. See, you can know a truth, but then something happens and that truth gets so much bigger in you. <laughs> That's a time of revelation. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. Now notice, he said, this is all about Jesus. So he opened saying, this is all about Jesus. And he says, you know what? This was sent to Israel. Jesus, the Messiah, came to Israel. Jesus said, it's, Jesus teaches us this to the Jew first. So he, he, doesn't, he doesn't change his theology to try to be culturally acceptable. He has, he has bridged the tribalism. He has bridged the prejudice between them. But neither does he sacrifice truth to overcome prejudice. Now, there's a big reality that you need to get a hold of today. He does not sacrifice truth to overcome prejudice. He's already bridged that gap. So he sticks with truth. But now this next statement, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. He said, you people aren't ignorant. You've heard all the talk about Messiah. You've heard all the talk about Jesus. You've heard about his crucifixion. You've heard about his death. You've heard about the resurrection. You're not ignorant of these things. I mean, you go to synagogue every Shabbat. You've heard the talk among the Jews. <laughs> See, these people weren't ignorant. So he did not treat them like they're ignorant. And that's one of the things I try to teach young pastors. Don't talk to people as if they're stupid. Treat people like they're intelligent, because they are. You yourselves know what happened throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, that's the purpose of the anointing. The purpose of the anointing was not to enrich us, the purpose of the anointing was not for Jesus to gather how much gold he could gather together. The purpose of the anointing was to go around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear. Now notice, a divine connection has an experience that you need. 
Now, this divine leadership connection that has been brought together, he said, we are witnesses. They have an experience. They have a practical understanding of something that you need. In this case, it was salvation. Not to all the people, verse 41, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Now, folks, you're going to have to understand that. Every man will stand before what the Bible calls the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. Now, as Christians, we are forgiven, but when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will receive our rewards. When others stand before Jesus as judge, it will be for their sentencing. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now notice, there is no other name. You receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Now notice the exclusivity of what he's saying. These, these Romans, these Gentiles, have been raised their whole life believing in Zeus, Diana, Apollos, all of the Roman and Greek gods. But they said, there's not salvation found there. When you believe in him, when you believe in him, you receive something. You receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, that is a beautiful truth. See, salvation has always been by faith. People always want to act like salvation by faith is New Testament only. No, Abraham believed and was justified. Abraham had faith. Salvation has always been by faith. When you believe in Jesus, you receive forgiveness of sins. What? What a truth. What? What a truth. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, so his sermon's not over, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Now, I can remember in the revival days when the Holy Spirit would fall in the middle of the sermon. There were religious people who got very upset and said, the church is in disorder. This is disorder. You can't do these things until after the sermon is finished. No. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. You know what? If God wants to interrupt the sermon, forgive me. It's his house. It's his people. He can do what he wants to do. As pastors, we're just servants. If the master wants to step in and take over, excuse me, we get out of the way. Now, now that to me is divine order. When the Bible said, let everything be done decently and in order, decently and in order is when the master steps forward, the servants step back. And I've just, I've lived my life like that. While Peter was still saying these things, Jesus pours out the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Now, not fell on people in the streets, fell on those who'd heard the word because they had believed. These people, God knew their hearts. God knew that these people had believed and they had received forgiveness. The baptism of the Holy Ghost did not come before salvation. Maybe it came before Peter's altar call, but it did not come before salvation. And there is a difference. These Peter, these people had already been saved just listening. They were listening to him and made decisions. Maybe there's no altar call. Who says you need an altar call to get saved? People can sit there and listen and go, 
I believe that. I accept that. So while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those, on all who heard the word. And the believers who, for, who from among the circumcision who had come with Peter were amazed. So, okay, the Jews, the brothers that had come with Peter from Joppa, they were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Did you hear that? They were speaking in tongues and praising God. Again, the initial physical evidence that you have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost is speaking in other tongues. That's how they knew these people had received the Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold? Now, again, let me just back up here. Said, you know, Well, you know, Pastor Summer, on the day of Pentecost, uh, the purpose of tongues was so that all those people of other languages could hear the gospel. Well, that's not the purpose here. This is just the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water, water from, can anyone, verse 47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, why did he command them to be baptized? Why did he have to order it? I imagine some of those brothers with him were still a little skeptical about all this. So he didn't, you know, he didn't say, guys, would you help me water baptize? He commanded them to be baptized. He commanded. In other words, hey, we've got to fix this situation now. We've got to, we've got to finish what we have started here. They have believed. They have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now let's water baptize them. Now again, there are some people that say, you cannot receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues until you're water baptized. The sequence is salvation, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism. Well, the sequence is all messed up here. I don't think we need to worry about sequence. We just need to make sure that all three events occur and salvation is first. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Most of my life, cause I knew no other way. I tried and tried to always fail because of what I've said. And one day I just met the man who took away all of my sin.
And Brother Jong just reminded me that Exhibit A just celebrated their 17th anniversary as a singing group together. I will not discuss how old some of those guys are. I know they look like they're 17, but um, they're not. They've been together 17 years. It's so fun to live life with people. Would you open your Bibles now to 2 Kings chapter 15? 2 Kings chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Now, one of the principles that we're going to see come out again and again and again through this passage is family sinful culture. And so we're going to be bringing out different thoughts of that to go through this. We, we have to recognize, and young people, let me say this going in, that we, we cannot... We cannot dishonor our parents. We will always honor our mom and dad. But even when we see them, they're doing most things right and just a little bit wrong, we, we don't hang on to the little bit wrong because after all, mom and dad did it. We, we, we have to make progress in every generation. I look at my dad, and you know I love my dad, but there were things that he did in his life. Most of these things he kept hidden from me until just a few years ago after he died. But there were things he did in his life that I've always just completely stayed away from. My grandpa, you know my grandpa. I've, I've, I've never seen grandpa do anything wrong, and I don't know anybody ever who ever did see grandpa do anything wrong. I mean, grandpa was just an amazing Christian. But grandpa was karipot. I mean, talagan karipot. And I've just always made up my mind, I'm not going to live like that. Grandpa lived this exemplary life. Oh my goodness, Karipo. I just made up my mind I'm going to be generous on every occasion. I can remember the time I went to visit my dad. And in those days, we had very little. And I had gone up to the old Harrison Plaza. Remember Harrison Plaza? I'd gone up to the old Harrison Plaza and my old watch, because I'm kind of acidic, you know, and it, it eats through the watches. And I, I had to get a new watch because that one was starting to cut me. So I bought this black Seiko. And I loved that watch. It was, it was the prettiest watch I'd ever had. Well, I'm visiting Dad later that year, and Dad said, I really like your watch, Dave. I said, thank you, Dad. He said, would you give it to me? I'll swap you. Well, he went and got this old junk watch that he got at a garage sale, and he took my really good watch. And, you know, I did it, I smiled. And then he looked at me and he said, I just wanted to make sure you're not as stingy as Grandpa. I said, what do you mean? He said, Grandpa never gave me anything growing up. He said, Grandpa, no. He said, I just want to make sure that you're, you're generous. Grandpa was stingy. And that was the first time I began to realize, yeah, Grandpa is a little stingy, isn't he? So I began to make a decision in my life. I'm going to be generous. With, with whatever I have, I'm going to be generous. Every generation should make progress. Now, you're going to see these truths come out as we go. Not just the sinful things. But even the, the shortcomings, every generation needs to make progress. Verse 1. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, remember that's the ten northern tribes, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, those are the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, began to reign. He was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, one of the longest-serving kings. His mother's name is Jecoliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Okay, so, you know, he followed the culture, the lifestyle that his father had taught him to live right. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people still made offerings in the high places. All right. So he didn't go beyond his father's culture. 
He lived right up to the limit of his father's culture, but he didn't take it a step farther. Every generation needs to make progress. Young people, you've seen your parents make lots of progress, but don't allow something to remain in your life that you know is wrong because your parents allowed it to remain in their life. The high places were not taken away. And the Lord touched the king so that he was a leper till the day of his death. Now, one of the longest serving kings, 52 years, but he was a leper until the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house. So here's a guy. He lived with leprosy all of his life because he wouldn't take holiness to the next step. See, there's consequences for sin. Nobody likes to talk about that today, but there are consequences for sin. The people were separated from God, and he reaped what he sowed, and he separated from his family. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the household, governing the, governing the people of the land. Now, the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Azariah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with their fathers in the city of David, and Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, now that's 38 years into his reign, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel in Samaria for six months. Now, here's one of the shortest serving kings. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as his fathers had done. So he just, he just followed the same sinful lifestyle. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, of which he made Israel to sin. Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and struck him down in Eblim and put him to death and reigned in his place. Now, the rest of the deeds of Zechariah, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. This is the promise of the Lord that he gave to Jehu. Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to four generations. And so it came to pass. So God, God kept his promise. So I put in my column, God's promise. But let me just throw another thought at you. Some of you think, well, you know, if this is all they knew, what's the problem with them just living what they knew? I want you to remember the law of the kings that Moses put down. The first act of a king was to take the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, what we call the Pentateuch, Penta, five. The Pentateuch, the first five books. And they were to take that and they were to handwrite, copy for themselves, a copy of it. And they were to read it all the days of their life. So there is no excuse for no progress. There is no excuse to continue in the culture, the sinful culture of their parents that they had been raised in. Their first act as king, if they had done what God said, their first act as king would give a fresh cultural, spiritually cultural start to every king. Let me say that again. The first act of the king would give a fresh spiritually cultural start to set the course again, to to get true north again in their minds, to rather than than right and wrong be determined by what they saw other people do, true, the true north, true direction, the, the exact right thing would be fixed in every king's mind. But they didn't do that. Now you understand the wisdom of God in laying down that law. Verse 13. Shalom, the son of Jabesh, began to reign in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah, and he reigned one month in Samaria. Okay, here's a one-month king. Then Menahem, the son of Gadi, came up from Tezra and came to Samaria, and he struck down Shulam, king of Jebesh, 
or son of Jabesh, in Samaria and put him to death and reign in his place. Now the rest of the deeds of Shalom and the conspiracy that he made, behold, they are written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel. At that time, Menahem sacked Titzba and all who were in it and its territory from Tizra on, because they did not open it to him. Therefore he sacked it, and he ripped open all the women in it who were pregnant. Now, uh, this is a bloody man. I mean, to cut open pregnant women and pull their babies out, that's, that's, a, that's a bad man. Verse 17, in the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, the son of Gadi, began to reign over Israel, and he reigned ten years in Samaria, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart all his days from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. And notice, all his days, all the sins. This guy was a good sinner, okay? This, this guy was, this guy really, he shined at it. He didn't just do some of the sins, he did all of them. So I want to circle all his days and all the sins. Verse nine, 19, Hui, the king of Assyria, came against the land. And Menahem gave Hul a thousand talents of silver that he might help him to confirm his hold on royal power. Menahem exacted the money from Israel, that is, from all the wealthy men, fifty shekels of silver for every man to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. Now the rest of the deeds of Menahem and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Menahem slept with his fathers, and Pekahiah, his son, reigned in his place. Now, I want you to notice a man took money from other people and used it to purchase peace so that he could remain in power. Amazing. This is a pretty bad dude. Now, Pekahiah, in the 15th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Benahin, began to reign over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned two years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. And Pekah, the son of Romalia, his captain, conspired against him with 50 men from the people of Gilead and struck him down in Samaria in the citadel of the king's house with Argob and Ariah. He put him to death and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the deeds of Pekahiah and all that he did, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. Now, one of the things you're going to notice here pretty quickly is that when a man serves God, he, he sits on the throne. He wasn't a perfect man. He didn't remove the high places. But I want you to notice Azariah reigned 52 years. These guys in, in Israel, the northern ten tribes, because of their sinfulness, their reigns were very short and very bloody. Verse 27. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, so 52 years, in his 52nd years, Pekah, the son of Ramiah, began to reign over Israel and Samaria. And he reigned 20 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a name my wife and I have laughed about our whole life. We always said, let's name our child Tiggy. Short for Tiglath-Pileser. Can you imagine? Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Ejon, Abel-Bethwacha, Janoa, Kedish, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried the people captive to Assyria. Then Hoshea, the son of Allah, made a conspiracy against Pekah of Ramallah, 
and struck him down and put him to death and reigned in his place. In the twentieth year of Jotham, king son of Uzziah, now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Verse 32. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, <laughs> the daughter of Zadok. Sound familiar? Jerusalem, Jerusha. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to what his father Uzziah had done. Nevertheless, the high places were not removed. Now, are you getting this? The high places were not removed. These men lived right, but they didn't push for spiritual progress. Now, now again, brothers and sisters, often in the church world today, we see people saved, and, and, and things are better, but pastors refuse to push for progress when it comes to sanctification. Every generation should push for progress, not digress. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. Now, the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In those days, the Lord began to send Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, against Judah. Jotham slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David his father. And Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. And he said, well, pastor, why would God begin to send these people to attack Judah, the, the, Judah and Benjamin, the two southern tribes? Because they weren't living right. Yeah, they were doing better. And definitely they were doing better than the, the northern ten tribes. But all of these high places that Solomon had built, See, guys, Solomon really messed things up. He built one altar for God, and he built 700. He built one altar for every one of his foreign wives. That means he built 700 demon altars in the hills around Jerusalem. So the altar of God is in the center, and all around them are the demon altars. And God was just looking for somebody who will go and clean these things out. So generation after generation, they remain. Chapter 16, verse 1. In the seventeenth year of Pekah, the son of Romalia, Ahaz, the son of Jadim, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now, okay. Ahaz, Ahaz really messes up. He not only does not make progress, okay, he doesn't hold steady and make progress. He digresses. He, instead of following the ways of King David, he goes and follows the ways of Jeroboam. From how many generations past with the, the golden calves and the false worship and the false temple. He, he goes into a whole different thing. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now, the ways of the kings of Israel were sinful. They were idolatrous. And they really, they used religion to control people. Let me say that again. They used religion to control people. He even burnt his son as an offering. 
according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So here's a guy that not only did not tear down the high places, he used them. He used these false places of worship. Now, parents, one of the things you're going to have to see, if you don't remove things, the next generation may use things. You can meditate on that one for a while. Then Rezan, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Amaliah, king of Israel, came up to wage war in Jerusalem, and they besieged Azar, but could not conquer him. At that time, Rezan, the king of Syria, recovered Eleth from Syria and drove the men of Judah from Eleth. And the Edomites came to Eleth, where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Assyria and from the hand of the king of Israel who is attacking me. Ahaz also took silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Kir, and he killed Rezan. Right, so he, he bought his peace. Rather than pray, see, when a man doesn't have a relationship with God, he has, to, he has to use other means. This guy didn't have a walk with God, so he could not pray and ask God to help. So he pays a man to help. Verse 10. When King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria, he saw the altar that was at Damascus. Ah, now remember, he's following the ways of the kings of Israel. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a model of the altar and its exact pattern, exact in all its details. And Uriah the priest built the altar in accordance with all the King Ahaz had sent to Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz arrived in Damascus. Now, my friends, God's altar was changed. King Ahaz wanted to copy the world. He did not want to worship the way God has said he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to copy the world. This is how the world says we should worship our God. The altar in the temple was built according to the pattern God gave. He said, I don't want that pattern anymore. I want a new altar. And when the king came from Damascus, the king viewed the altar. Then the king drew near to the altar and went up on it. And he burned his burnt offering and his grain offering and poured his drink offering and threw the blood of his peace offering on the altar. He said, I want, I want to worship a new way. I, I want something new. Now, young people, forgive me. There's a lot of churches in the world that are telling you, you can't worship God the way your parents used to worship God. We have a new way. We have a new thing. We have a new paradigm. We have a new wineskin. All of that's just trying to put spiritual, spiritual clothes on something that is very wrong and very, very sinful. We don't change the way God is to be worshipped. We don't change the altars in our lives. You need to get a hold of this. You don't change the altars in your life. Now, even this foolish king understood that. 
Verse 14, and the bronze altar that was before the Lord. Now notice, this altar is not before the Lord, this new one. The old altar, that was before the Lord. He removed from the front of the house, from the place between the old, his altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the altar. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, on the great altar, burn the morning burnt offering. So on this altar that I built, the great altar, Burn the burnt offerings and the evening grain offering and the king's burnt offering and his grain offering with the burnt offering of the people of the land and their grain offering and the drink offering and throw on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. But the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. Now, what a stinker. He still knew what was true. He wanted something new but he still knew what was true. Let me say that again. He wanted something new, but he still knew what was true. He knew what was true. He said, when you inquire of God for me, go to the real altar. Amazing. Uriah the priest did all this as King Ahaz commanded. And King Ahaz cut off the frames of the stands. And he removed the basin, this giant basin of water, the, the, the sea, as it's called. And he took down the sea from off the bronze oxen that were under it. And he put it on a stone pedestal. Oh, I, don't, I don't want that stuff there that God designed. I don't want what God designed. I want my design. And, he, and the covered way for the Shabbat that had been built inside the house and the outer entrance for the king, he caused to go around the house of the Lord. Because of the king of Assyria, he, he made changes in God's house to please a friend. Not to please God, but to please. He changed construction and architecture. He, he did all of this to please a friend. Now, the rest of the acts of Ahaz that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah? And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Now again, you, you, you see some incredible truth here that's so applicable in the world that we live in today. You find new generations rising up that reject the old ways of worship, that, that, that think that the way the Bible teaches us to worship needs to be updated. And you say, can you show me this in the book? No. But it's just, you know, people are different. There should not be dancing in the house of God anymore. What? They worship God with dance in the Bible. Yes, but we don't do that because, you know, it offends some people. So you change the way God is to be worshipped to please people. Can you show me where anybody ever sang secular songs in the Bible in God's house? Paul's very clear. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Yes, but, you know, we, we want everybody to feel included. So you're changing the way God has worshipped to please man. Now, now, these are very, very strong teachings, brothers and sisters. Oops, I hit my microphone. These, these are very strong teachings, brothers and sisters, and, and these are things that you've got to get a hold of. Our worship, we are to worship God in the way he teaches us to worship him. He is God. We don't make up our own thing. We do as he asks us. All right. We're going to get on to the kids' show now. But first, let me remind you, we'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.